This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Hello and welcome to Humans of Gaming. Uh, I am Drew Dixon. I am the chief content nerd at Love Thy Nerd and one of the co-hosts of this podcast. That's why I'm speaking to you. Uh, you probably gathered that by this point, but I'm joined <laughs> by Chris Gwaltney, my co-host. Hey, Chris. Hey. What is your title? Yeah, Good thanks. Intro, what is your title? I'm the uh, chief executive nerd because of reasons. <laughs> Good. Good. And so, uh, glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you, man. Uh, and we are joined by a very special guest today, as we usually are, and that is Richard Rouse the Third. Did I say your last name right? You did, but I'll tell you, I never say the third out loud because it sounds too pretentious. Oh, that's right. <laughs> well, we can say it. Does it sound pretentious if we say it for you? Any human, I think, uh, saying it, well. it sounds ridiculous. Like written, there's something elegant and nice about it but when said out loud it's like oh i see mm-hmm. <laughs> so, ah uh, sire yes <laughs> esquire uh <laughs> that's a fun one well it's funny my girlfriend in college actually uh like she was one year below me and so had gotten there a, a week earlier and saw my name like on the door of my dorm room and and said, oh, that guy must be from some blue blood, rich family, you know, and had <laughs> constructed this whole vision of me based on that sign, which uh, turned out to not be the case. Like uh, maybe you, but yeah, maybe your parents are vampires or something. <laughs> yes, yeah. that or that. Owen, he's from Massachusetts. Well, well, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> right. well, it's what are the. I don't really know any stereotypes about people from Massachusetts other than like Boston. Right. Boston. But, right. but well, you're not from that thing. part, right? You're from, you said you're from Western Massachusetts. That's right. Um, you can tell by my lack of ridiculous accent. Right. Uh, and I say ridiculous lovingly. My dad was from Quincy, Mass, uh, which is sort of the working class town, I guess, right? It's sort of part of the city. I don't know if it's part of the city now or not, but basically right sort of south boston area and he had it and then he went to cambridge for school uh so had this combination of sort of the harvard accent and the working class quincy accent which was very pronounced um but which i never noticed and people would say wow your dad's accent is crazy and i'm like what are you talking about (laughs) yeah Uh, but uh yeah so i don't know that the reputation of massachusetts you know it's sort of you know northeastern elites you know that kind of uh-huh. thing that's that's one reputation if you live in any other state around it uh like connecticut new hampshire vermont you hate massachusetts uh cuz that's you know the bigger city and i've badly you know and that's and there's a a name i won't say for what they call people from massachusetts <laughs> um <laughs> To keep this family friendly. <laughs> uh, so there's there's that reputation regionally of being the jerky state of the, of the New England states. Well, I can vouch for at least the drivers in Boston being psychotic. <laughs> That's true. I know that yeah. much. Yeah. No, I, I was just there for PAX East uh, where I saw you, Drew. And yeah. uh, I was driving a rental car and was like the – you know, people would actively turn left right in front of you, even though they didn't have the light and you would have to slam on yeah. the brakes. But that was just it. And when I'd failed to do that, people would honk at me like when I was turning left and didn't cut someone off. They <laughs> And I was like, really? Totally. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that, too. Yeah. And like I live, 
I live here near LA. So like California drivers are, are crazy. Like I'm convinced that driving school here teaches offensive driving, not defensive driving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the only other place I've experienced that is Boston. Uh-huh. And I almost think they're worse. <laughs> yeah. I find I've, every time I've driven in California, Southern California, did you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I found them to just be asleep, like compared to driving in <laughs> Chicago or New York, where I live huh. as well, or any of those East Coast people. Like people are more like getting where you're going. And as a as a New Yorker, I consider myself a New Yorker because I lived there a couple times. Mm-hmm. There's a there is a protocol to how you drive there, and it is very like fast and get off the button and when the light changes and stuff. And there's the right. friendly honk that happens within half a second of the light changing, which <laughs> I actually I appreciate because I'm like, oh, I didn't see it. I'm sorry, you know, I'll drive. Yeah. Sorry, you know, it's the second honk you don't want to get to because the first one's just this little polite like boop, and then it's like that, a wah. If you yeah, that's that interesting because when I was in Boston, I felt like none of the honks were friendly. <laughs> right. like they this were is New all... York. I think New Yorkers are a little. The first less one's crazy like than the Boston. We'll give drivers. you one. That's nice, at least. When I was in California, <laughs> I've driven in California a few times, and I felt like people were kind of mean. But that's yeah. like I'm because I'm I live in Nashville, and so I compare, you know, right. I compare things to that. And Nashville actually does have pretty bad traffic. People don't realize. I mean, it's nowhere near the size of of L.A. or New York, but. But there's a ton of people moving here. So we don't have like the infrastructure right. to support mm-hmm. the amount of growth that we're experiencing here. Um, and so traffic is pretty bad. But people are kind of nice on the, on, the, on the interstates. Like people let you over, and, you know, and all that kind of thing. And I remember driving in California a few times and I, I needed to get over and I would feel like the person next to me is like speeding up purposefully. So I can't get over even though oh, they totally. don't really yep. need to. <laughs> right. Yep. Right. Anyway, but so do you live in New York now, Richard? No, I'm in uh, outside of Seattle, uh, in Redmond. Oh wow, you're like other side of the world. Yeah. So, and that's as I notice the, you know, Seattle is a pretty chill place in general. Right. Um, and the drivers are chill, and that irritates me. <laughs> as, as a former, as an East Coast person, I'm like, you're right. all so slow. And, yeah. you know, this yeah. is like, did you see that light changed already? I don't do the little polite on. Yeah. It's funny because I, here, but. I interpret it as like um, LA or New York drivers or Boston or whatever being meaner than Nashville. But in a lot of ways, I think it's just they're more seasoned than people right. in Nashville. You know what I mean? Because it's like you know, efficient. Using, yeah. yeah. Using every second of their day optimally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because certainly like the nice drivers in a way in Nashville are making traffic worse. If you think about yeah. it. Exactly. The big thing in Seattle is when you on your, when you're on one of the many highways, uh, people will just very politely get in line for the exit, say it's backed up. So then you'll have just a single row of people backed up for miles sometimes mm-hmm. with just one exit. And as a you know East Coast person, I stay in the middle lane and then merge at the end. Oh, 100%. Uh, yep. and, and, but it's interestingly, the Washington State Department of Transportation put out an announcement saying, please don't merge to the right prematurely. Because it's mm-hmm. actually worse to have, you know, this one uh, yeah. long line of traffic that goes back for miles and just ends up slowing things worse than like staying in the lane you're in and, and zippering, right? Mm-hmm. You know, doing the, the merge at the end. But no one listened to them saying that. And, People and do that. still get mad. How dare you yeah. merge in front of me? <laughs> like, well, that's how the highways work, you know? It's yeah. More efficient, yeah. People but, do that all the time in Nashville, too. And now I feel like you've just affirmed my decision to, to zip over. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, welcome to our pilot episode of Humans of Traffic. 
That's right. Uh, we're excited to have you here. Yeah. It's, I'm glad everyone came for this, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Richard, you are working on a game. You're the director of a game called Church in the Darkness. And then I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've worked on um, State of Decay, Sunset Overdrive as well. What, what else? Uh, going back, uh, those were at Microsoft, which was my last gig before here. I worked on State of Decay, Quantum Break, and uh, Sunset Overdrive uh, that I can say. And there are other things that I can't say. And then going back farther, people know me for the suffering horror games that I did in the PS2 era. Um, and even going back farther than that, I started out as sort of a small time, what would be called an indie developer today, but then was just called a guy working on a game by himself. Uh, though I did, I did have a publisher, but it didn't have, it didn't, there was no aspirations to like indiness uh, mm. 20 years ago. So yeah, like nobody really made indie games 20 years ago. Well, they didn't call them that. And there was right. certainly not a, you know, there was less of a, they weren't, they weren't of, successful, of, I should say. Well, they could be, they could be, you know, it, it depended. There were, there wasn't a space for like arty games for Mm -hmm. sure. Like there wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, like a night in the woods, you know, we were talking about Scott before of, um, you know, something that is like, like uses some game conventions, but goes in a very different direction artistically or narratively or whatever. Like that didn't really, there was no market for that. Yeah. Um, But there were smaller games made by smaller teams. (laughs) Uh, that would get, and I was published by this company called uh, Wizard Works, who owned a, the Mac label. I was making Mac games originally, and then I moved over to PC. Um, but they owned a division called MacSoft, and they would, and their big thing was they could get things into Walmart and sell them for twenty bucks there. So you know your mm. front, your AAA quote unquote games weren't really called that then either. Would be forty to fifty bucks, and then the stuff they did was twenty. Um, usually, and and they would just they just knew what a Walmart audience would want. Um, hmm. And their big hit was Deer Hunter. That they were the people who did. Uh, yeah. And okay. apparently, the story behind Deer Hunter was that it came from someone at Wizard Works talking to the guy who bought games for Walmart, saying, "Well, what is, what would your people want?" And they were like, "Our people like to hunt a lot." Right. Like, oh, really? And it was sort of a genius move because hunting season's not your all year round. So, what are you going to do if you love hunting? The other six to eight months or whatever it is of the year right you buy this game um and it's interesting like deer hunter was not as bad as you might think like it like when you compare it to the games i liked it was you know not for me right but it Mm -hmm. it was not complex particularly but it was a real hunting experience it wasn't a just run around first person shooter some deers or something it was like wait in a nest for a while and put out bait and you know you could do all this stuff that a hunter who actually went to walmart for their hunting stuff would would buy so that became a huge hit for them obviously yeah i've only played it in the arcade so (laughs) that's not the original version anymore i think but and that was probably big buck hunter Oh right, yeah, yeah, you're oh, right. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, yep. get your get your hunting games right. <laughs> yeah, get schooled. <laughs> so, so, what was that first game that you worked on? Was it, it was it an art artsy kind of project, a more artful? I mean, it, no, it wasn't. Um, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was. It was very much like Ultima. It was inspired very much by Ultima Four, Ultima Five ish. Mm-hmm. It just came out, you know, ten years later. Um, so it was a top down RPG. Uh, with sprites, so it was 2D and stuff. Uh, 3D was just sort of starting out then, um, but it was a, you know, it, it had a lot of the trappings of a 
RPG style game. Like you had monsters and weapons and spells and stuff, but had mm-hmm. a lot of crazy what I saw as arty narrative stuff in it. Um, though I sort of didn't present it that way. It was presented as like, well, here's this interesting story of these two towns who hate each other. Um, and the towns were called Nyak and Elba, which is Cain and Abel spelled backwards, actually. Oh, um, might be to this audience. But uh, so there was a lot, there was a little bit of biblical stuff in there even back then. But you, uh, you basically made a, what is that book? I just forgot. Uh, the Joseph East of Eden. You made East of Eden the video game. <laughs> Except, you know, with monsters and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Basically but there the was like, there was one island you got to where it turned out all of the citizens had been turned into monsters because you went down this archipelago of islands in the game and there were six or seven of them. And there was one island you got to and the monsters wouldn't attack you. And if you, you could attack them first and then they'd retaliate, but they wouldn't initiate. And mm. then later you realized, oh, all the citizens have been turned into monsters and you could cast a spell that would, you know, you could do a thing that would set them all back to humans and if you hadn't killed them all they'd still be alive so it was well it was sort of an interesting yeah that is interesting moment for the player yeah. to think like oh what did i just do um and it had the what game the had game called? Multiple, it was called odyssey the legend of nemesis huh. it was originally called archipelago uh, from the original guy who was working on it um it was actually originally being made by bungie software who oh. you may know oh, from yeah. games like Halo and Destiny. Never heard of it. Right. But <laughs> back then, they actually went, those guys went to the same school I did in Chicago and mm. were still, they like the first game they did, one of them was still a student when he made it. This game called Minotaur and uh, Odyssey mm-hmm. was based on the technology from Minotaur. Um, technology being like a sprite rendering engine. Like right. nothing incredible. But, uh, uh, but so I was, I, I, they were making an RPG game for a while and then they got caught up in the first person shooters they started making and I was working on it for them. And then at some point they said, well, yeah, we're not going to publish that because we're making first person things now. So, uh, here, why don't you have it back and go publish it somewhere else? So that's what I ended up doing. Yeah. It's interesting. So, So do you keep up with any of those guys that, uh, like the I, I follow Halo them crowd. on the on the on the uh, uh, you know they I hear they've gone on to great things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, there's, yeah. so there's the two guys I worked with back then were Alex and Jason who were the founders, uh, and I see Alex periodically at conferences. He's no longer there and has a company called Industrial Toys um, that makes mobile first person shooter type games. Um, mm-hmm. And then Jason's still at Bungie, and I haven't seen him in in ages he's notoriously not very social yeah um and then most of the other people i knew from that period are no longer at the company uh and actually one of my uh one of the people who was at the company at that time is one of my best friends alan who lives a few blocks from me now and i see on a regular basis so oh cool there is still some connection there he no longer works in games he's too smart for that so (laughs) (laughs) yeah well he's a great he you know got a phd and computer science and when uh, to apply okay. that in computer science ways so yeah to make the world a better place or something rather than just making uh, dumb games yeah, that's right. it's, yeah you know I, it, it takes it i don't disagree with that on some level you know there is a you know i whenever people get too wrapped up it's like guys we're not curing cancer here you know this, mm. this is still just a game right like, right is, yeah and it's one of the one of the examples they give you in 
uh, computer science classes or they did back in my day was you know, why you should be careful about your code and test it and stuff was there was, I think it was machine that did chemotherapy of some kind and would administer the dosage and due to a bug, like did 10 times the dosage and killed a few people before they Ooh. noticed. And oh, they gosh. were like, see, uh, you should be careful with your code. And I'm like, how about I not work in medical? <laughs> that was that was what pushed you uh, into gaming. That was my yeah. That was my takeaway. No, I'd always wanted to do gaming. I was doing computer science because I wanted to make computer games. So yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah. Well, before we forget to to talk about it a little bit, I do want to make sure we we hit uh, the Church in the Darkness because um, this is your your new big project. Tell us about Church in the Darkness. Give us like the quick pitch. So yeah, the super quick pitch is it is a uh, top-down, uh, again, sort of like Odyssey, but totally And different. I suppose I should uh, say, like, I suppose I should say we, we you were on episode one of our PAX series, like the, our part one yeah. of our, our, like, rapid-fire PAX interviews. So, mm -hmm. um, so some people will have heard this pitch already, but some of our listeners will have missed that episode. So yeah, anyway, sorry, go ahead. Hopefully I will not say exactly the same thing, but it is a, uh, you are in the game, you're playing it from a top down perspective, sort of like old metal gear is what people usually think of when they see it. But, mm -hmm. uh, it's an infiltration game where you're actually infiltrating a religious cult in the 1970s, um, that has moved themselves down to South America and you have a nephew who's in there. So you're trying to get in touch with him. And the only way it seems to do that is to go into the group yourself. Um, so it's infiltration gameplay, meaning stealth gameplay, but kind of fast pace uh, compared to a lot of stealth games. And it's more open world and more simulation-y. Um, but it's also a game that doesn't require you to kill anybody when you play it. Um, you have that option. You, you know, start with a gun with eight bullets, but not with a hundred rounds. And mm -hmm. so you're, you know, and you can find more bullets while you play, but it's not really about shooting everybody you find. It's more about using that as a backup. If you, if you want to, uh, when you get into scrapes and, and things like that, it's more about evading detection and just trying to find where your nephew is. Mm -hmm. And unpacking this cult as well, like figuring out what it's about and how concerned you should be about your nephew kind of a thing. Cause you said there's some, variable there with the cult like it can be sometimes the cult is this awful terrible thing um sometimes it's more complicated than that yeah right they're they're always the so the interesting thing to me about cults i mean there's a lot of interesting thing about cults, but <laughs> one thing that sort of got me really hooked on them was the people in the cults don't think they're in a cult you know they often right. join it because they want to do good for the world or they see it as a new spiritual calling or, or it's a self-help thing. Uh, and these are all often these groups provide a lot of benefits and say a lot of things that as a, as a progressive or someone who wants to do good in the world, you would say, ah, that sounds really good. Actually, I should try that. And then you maybe get in deep before you realize things are a little darker than you thought. But the interesting thing about these groups is that it's hard to know because you can find out in the world, tons of, groups that we would describe as a cult but they might not be dangerous they may just be you know an alternate way of looking at the world or an alternate faith system or whatever and do we want to force those groups to not exist because sometimes you know like less than five percent of cults something bad happens in the end mm -hmm. or do we just say well in a free society people need to go be able to believe what they want to believe um so in this case in and i thought that was interesting 
you know, that it's hard to tell the difference between uh, just a weird group and a dangerous apocalyptic group. Right. So here you're trying to figure out as you play, is this group, which one of these is it? Uh, and we change that up every time you play the game. So it's a mystery. And the cult group always sort of has the same dogma. They're always Christians. They're always socialists. They're always, you know, hate the Vietnam War, hate the American government. That dogma all sort of stays the same. But then they take it too far in some scenarios. And mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out what those things are as you play, as you find, as you listen to the cult leaders talk on the PA system, as you find notes and documents in the camp, as you have conversations with cult members, uh, you're trying to figure out which, which group am I dealing with? How scared do I need to be for my nephew? <laughs> um, and then you as the player have the choice. Your goal, your only goal in the game is to find your nephew. And once you find him, you can choose to let him stay or you, or he may not want to stay and you can force him to leave with you, or he may want to leave and you can say, okay, I'll lead you out. Um, but it's up to the player what they do from that point on uh, to get an ending. And then you can get a ton of different endings, uh, which are changed both on the nature of the cult, but also how you treated them, like whether you were more murderous in your approach or whether you were completely stealthy or something in between. And then, you know, that'll reflect in a bunch of different endings you can get as well. Yeah, that's cool. Dude, I'm in. <laughs> in the cult or? No, in the cult. That's what <laughs> yeah, I meant. Is like joining the cult. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe there'll be a real cult that starts because of the game. Right, right. Yeah, there was, you know, the viral marketing campaign is is makes a fake cult that people actually then join and you then actually have to create the cult and then that takes over. It's sort of like, uh, you know, certain science fiction authors who may have gone on to form a religion or something later. Like, <laughs> what if I were to... <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. What if I were to yeah. twist this a different way? You know, Never heard of taxes. it. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, I think that it, could be like a really big, um, like kind of guerrilla marketing camp. I mean, that could be really good for your sales. If you had the fake cult that got right. really popular. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not really endorsing yeah. that. I'm just saying. And then you could have the fake cult members buy copies of the game. Like they work all the hours of the day just to save up money to buy more copies of the game to spike it in the sales chart. So then it looks like it's doing well and then more people buy it. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is sort of how you launch a mobile game these days. But uh, (laughs) that's how you launch a mobile game. (laughs) Gosh. Well, there is like that's a lot of there is a a mechanism. I don't know if you're aware of this in because a lot of the sales on mobile is driven by what's in the, you know, top seller chart. Yeah. Yep. So people will launch a game and then get a lot of fake installs via, you know, some country, some third world country that has a lot of yeah. people installing it on a bank of a hundred phones they have on their desk or whatever. Uh, and you, you basically pay for that. And then that gets you in the sales chart and then hopefully the game's good and it stays there. Right. Yeah. Um, well, you know, so. there's a, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there was a Christian mega church pastor guy who did that with his books that was up in your neck of the woods in the Pacific Northwest. Oh Yeah. Oh, to get it on the New York Times, right? Yeah. I think I remember that. Or maybe even Amazon bestseller list, you know. Because nowadays, I imagine that's probably true with books as well on the Amazon list, especially. Um, Right. But, but yeah, so that's not... I remember that, but I don't remember who it was. Exclusive to the App Store. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that sounds familiar, but I don't remember his name either. I could tell you. Uh, <laughs> I just don't know if I want to like uh, open sleep. that. Can but yeah, I mean, like it's over now. He's in another. Yeah. He's in another town. He's in a better place. Hopefully, he's not like doing that kind of thing anymore. 
Who knows? He wasn't the one with the sex scandal as well, was he? Was it the same guy? Which one? <laughs> there was another. There was a Seattle megachurch guy, and I can't remember his name right now either, who got in. He was having a, you know, this is the problem. There are certain commonalities to cult leaders and very charismatic religious leaders that at some point yeah. it goes to their head often, not always, but often. And then at some point they decide, you know, I need to further force people to follow my vision of myself slash the world. And, and that usually involves either. So I'm going to sleep with everybody. Like I'm going to have sex with whoever I want because I'm this all powerful person. I get away with mm -hmm. it and I, and I, I deserve it because I'm so good. At, you know, whatever, however they justify it to themselves. Yeah. Or they decide no one can have sex. <laughs> like that's the other. It's like because I'm not really into sex, so no one can have sex now. So our new faith is all about no sex. Yeah, it's um, always sex. Man. They seem to go one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. So hey, have you guys? Uh, have you guys? <laughs> I hope seen, we didn't get too dark. Um, there. <laughs> oh no, no, not at all. <laughs> What's the Netflix? The new Netflix thing, Wild Wild Country. Is that what it's called? Have you guys seen this? It sounds familiar. Not, it sounds familiar though. So it's about, I haven't watched it yet. It's on my list, but it's about, um, this cult. I think it was in the seventies or so, but it oh, looks it's the super Rajni's interesting. One. Yes. Yep. That's yeah. it. The what? Yeah. Which one? Um, Rajni what? Uh, so yeah, they, there's a group called the Rajneesh Puram. They were in Oregon, uh, and they were more, you know, central Asian. Uh, they had a guru guy who would come from India, I think. Um, mm -hmm. and his sort of, uh, inner leadership circle. And then the cult was mostly like disaffected white people. Um, and they like all dressed in red and they moved to this one town in Oregon and, and tried to take it over and build this big complex there. And then the, they got in, they did not get along with the locals. It was another common cult problem. And then, uh, they said, you can't actually build on this land. This is zoned agricultural. This is not agricultural anymore. And then they tried to take over the town by having all their people vote. And they semi succeeded in taking over the town from like a governmental standpoint. Um, and then there was this, like then the state Oregon state government got involved because they saw this going wrong. And then it ended up with them actually in, an, in a subsequent election, trying to poison a bunch of people so they couldn't go vote. And they, they oh, sprayed, gosh. they sprayed, I th it was, think it was like E. coli on a bunch of salad bars. Uh, oh, it's goodness. to date the largest biological attack in U.S. history. Uh, I don't think anybody died from it. I'm not sure. Um, That's scary, though. So they got caught out on this and, and the woman who ran it fled to Europe. Um, I think the, the, the dude leader and the dude leader had, had sworn a, uh, had a, um, oath of secrecy or not secrecy. Silence. Was that his, um, was that his official time, title, so. the dude leader? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the dude leader. I don't remember. I think he might've had several names at different times as, okay. as they, as they do. Um, but she had been running it because he couldn't talk for years and years uh, because of this vow of, of silence. Um, and then so she ended up fleeing and I think they split up. He had to leave the country too. I think they, I think he got deported, but she fled something like that um, before she could be prosecuted. But apparently in this wild, wild country, she is interviewed and is in the documentary. Um, wow. And I yeah. haven't seen it yet. It sounds fantastic. It just came out pretty recently, I think. Yeah, it did. I've heard it's super good, but yeah. Yeah, it's on my list now. I'm gonna add it to my queue. Um, so, what? Wh where did this like fascination with cults come from for you? I assume there's a fascination there because you decided to make a game about it. <laughs> yeah, don't start one, please. <laughs> I mean, it really did the uh, the 
I mean, there's a few layers to it. There's the what what I talked about of sort of realizing the people in because when you think about cults, when most people think about cults, they think, you know, really susceptible, dumb people, you know, really evil mm-hmm. people, whatever. But mm-hmm. if you actually look into these things, it is actually people trying to do something good often and usually not dumb people, usually people who are like dissatisfied with injustices in some way mm-hmm. and want to think think things can be better. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought it was really interesting that often these groups are full of smart people who get sucked into them. How does that happen? So that that was interesting. I was also just fascinated with them as a sort of alternate society, often within our society. So we'll have, you know, the larger United States or whatever. But then this one group has decided to live communally and do their own thing and and rejects a lot of what we think of as as American culture or whatever. Um, and I just find those sort of alternate societies fascinating. And then as a game developer, I thought, what a perfect place to set a game because it's like a contained ecosystem, right? It's like they've moved to, in my case, South America to build a, a compound down there um, that they call Freedom Town. But it's a nice little like self-contained place you can go for a game mm. right um yeah you know like a raptor or something like that uh, and i think as a game developer you're always thinking what's a cool setting for a game and it, those those pieces started connecting as i got more into to thinking about the cults mm-hmm. were there any um like any particular cults that like you studied or read about as you made the game that stick out that were in particularly influential yeah the you know there's I picked the seventies in particular because there were so many of them then, or they sort of rose to real notoriety. People didn't really talk about Mm -hmm. much before that. And I found that interesting of how tied to that period it was. And I love period pieces in general. So doing something in the seventies seemed cool. Um, And in that time period, you know, I talked to my brother who's quite a bit older and, and was a teenager then. Um, or mm-hmm. a little older than a teenager. And he just said, well, look, we all thought we were going to die at any time from, you know, the bomb. Oh, and yeah. We thought mm-hmm. people were still super worried about nuclear annihilation. Um, and then combine that with, you know, dis- distrust of the government, like the government has failed us. You know, the Vietnam War in particular, you know, was, was when Americans really sort of started thinking maybe the government is is not always telling us the truth, right? Yeah, right. Um, so that, that was – another reason they started fomenting in that time that sort of you know if you think you're going to die well why not go this other thing because this thing we're doing clearly isn't working um and a lot of cult leaders would would stoke those fears of saying hey you Mm -hmm. should all you know go do this because we're going to die if we don't you know often these groups are tied up in an apocalypse you know the world's going to end on this day unless we do this or or we need to prepare for that apocalypse so we can do whatever um so that period was super interesting. You know, I, I mentioned the Rajneesh Purim one. That was one I had I'd read up on and found super interesting. Um, Jonestown is obviously the other one everyone thinks of in, as the, mm-hmm. probably the most famous 70s cult. And they were the one that moved down to South America. So we have those similarities. Um, another one I like to bring up that's another great documentary is the documentary is called The Source Family. And it's about a lesser known cult group. Uh, that was in Southern California originally led by a guy who'd been a big health food proponent, like a vegetarian in the fifties and stuff. And he had ran a very successful vegetarian restaurant on the sunset strip and, you know, movie stars would come in and all that sort of thing. And at some point 
a lot of the people that he employed these like young, attractive folks to work there who were very fit. And they started going to gurus because gurus was like a rising thing in the 60s and 70s. And at some point he's like, oh, maybe I could be a guru. Or he just he like went to a few gurus and realized, hey, I could this is I feel a different calling to what my mm. what my I could do this thing. And he started he basically turned himself into a guru, this like six foot four fit white guy. Um, then he his beard out. <laughs> they had a rock band. They were famous for being big into music. And he wasn't actually any good at the music, but he had several people who were and like alternative acts that you know will say oh yeah those albums are really good and they're like collector's items now and recently the 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 rock band recently being like 10 years ago uh the rock band reformed and did a tour actually but hmm. uh what was the name of the rock band demand for them i think they went under the name the source family oh, okay um anyway so they're in the sunset strip he, they he built he has a big mansion everyone starts living at the mansion up in the hills and then they decide hey let's let's all move to hawaii with our leader so they move off to hawaii and to have their own little you know utopian self-sustaining agricultural community and turns out that's really hard turns out they didn't get along with the nat- the, the locals there uh, which were different than the, the native hawaiians uh, i think it was more the local you know, white folk didn't like these crazy hippie types moving in. <laughs> and then, uh, so they were like, so they started getting in gunfights with their neighbors and stuff. And eventually they Jeez. realized, wow, we can't sustain this. And then the leader who had, again, he had started calling himself God, uh, and started sleeping with everybody at some mm-hmm. point said, Hey, actually I'm not God. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I, I thought this was going to be easy. Clearly it's not. I, I went past my bounds, um, and he ends up doing this insane hang gliding stunt off of a cliff while his followers watch and crashes on the beach and dies there and like refuses oh medical attention. Um, and, but his people then just disperse, right? They're like, oh, was that's this hang gliding thing supposed to be some kind of like spiritual? He saw it that I think he saw everything as a spiritual thing at that point. Okay. He's like, well, I'm going to go do this. I've never hang, did, done hang gliding before, but either it's going to work out or it's not. It didn't, right? And, uh, right. It's really well told in the movie, uh, it's, which is called The Source Family, as I mentioned, uh, that I recommend people check out. I'm probably getting details of this wrong, too. So sorry if I am. But no, uh, it's fascinating. Uh, Makes me want to read but, more about, you know, American cults, cults. and things. And <laughs> I found that interesting as a group that didn't, you know, they there was no apocalypse, right? There was no mm-hmm. let's all kill ourselves or let's go attack something or let's burn this down. Was, none of that happened. And they just like tried to do a thing and it didn't work out. And then they mm-hmm. the main guy didn't end up surviving, but that was more through this crazy stunt he did than anything. And yeah. then they just broke up. And then some of them, you know, now still live on Hawaii on little smaller agricultural things that they run. Others, you know, went back into mainstream society and are bankers and stuff. And there are a bunch yeah. of different viewpoints interviewed in the movie. Um, interesting. So that was, you know, another interesting group just, again, showing that other side of like, here's how a lot of cult groups actually turn up, turn out is like, you know, eventually people eventually the leader dies and so everyone dissipates and does something else and he never i don't think he ever had any ill will towards his people uh or anybody really he was just like hey we're gonna do our thing and and i'm god right for a while i'm god and i get a lot of i get to sleep with anyone i want to um but it wasn't the people don't look back on it as like i felt exploited by this guy it was more of a we tried to do this and it didn't work out Hmm. what's the what's the checklist to be a cult is there a checklist like (laughs) Hey, if you hit six of 10 of these, then you're a cult. 
Yeah, I mean, Chris there's asking for a friend. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm just there's, kidding. There's a. Uh, uh, there is an interesting commonality I have found of of these leaders. So you'll find that, you know, often there is like an all powerful one person who claims to have some special ability that nobody else does, which is why he can lead you um, or she, but usually he. Often there is a we're right and everyone else is wrong to it. Mm -hmm. Right. And that mm -hmm. if you leave us, we won't talk to you anymore and you'll be cut off. Like that's a pretty common technique to keep people in the group because often people will join form very strong friendships form families have children and then oh well you want out well we don't want out so right. you're never going to see us again if you go that's a pretty mm -hmm. common one um you know usually there there is often some sort of end times prophecy um of like we're you know we got to do this because it's our last chance to blah 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 um yeah and there's something that, that will move that, over time that that causes its followers to feel a sense of urgency about right. the yeah. cause. Right. Yeah. Um, trying to think of some other key ones. You know, there's usually a, a high amount of paranoia within the group of like, you know, are you betraying the group or not? And people ratting each other out or, you know, like on the worst cases, like kids ratting out parents who are saying maybe we should leave and then they report them to the leader mm. and then um, – Often there's, you know, the other interesting thing in these groups is there's usually some sort of physical uh, torture or something involved mm -hmm. where, you know, in order, because they're sort of a functioning society in their own, but they can't afford to necessarily build a jail or have a big re rehabilitation thing. They go for a, if you do this, we'll beat you and then you'll learn and then you'll yeah. you know, fall in line again or whatever it is. Um and and if you can't afford to like say you filled you know and that's it, in the game, the group has uh, a corporal punishment of various sorts and that sort of scales up and down depending on the nature of the cult. But there's always a little bit of it there, um, and you're trying to figure out you know because there is like I don't personally agree with this, but you can see the argument for I need to discipline someone quickly and I can't afford to like keep feeding them if they are not working. Mm. So I'm going to beat them for a day and then that's going to teach them. And then they'll, they'll get in line after that um, or whatever it is. So right. that's the way, and that's the sort of thing that it starts off as a, you know, I'm also against like disciplining children, but there's a line of like, well, you start off with spanking. How bad is that? Or oh, everybody spanks. Right. And, and then it like gets worse and worse until it's like, whoa, you know, the kid's got a broken arm or whatever. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And, that's the sort of dark, like, where's the line? Like if you, you know, I'm not in favor of spanking, but uh, certainly I probably know people who have, who I haven't I cut out of my life. So, you know, it's like, <laughs> right. uh, it's like it's in our society right now, it's not seen as like a deal breaker socially. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what about you? We've sort of talked a lot about the game and your interests and things. Uh, what, what was your upbringing like? Was religion what, a part of that? What cult did you grow up in? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the cult of Microsoft. Um, yeah, that was recent. That was recent. We can get back to that later. But, yeah, um, that would be interesting to hear. Because that is a, that is an interesting thing I've found. But um, yeah, my upbringing, I was raised, as we said, uh, Western Massachusetts, um, uh, and my mom is Catholic, uh, very devout Catholic, I would say. And my dad was an atheist. Um, so she was, and her whole family, my mom's family, you know, going back to her father, um, back in Germany was very devout and his brother was a, was a priest. And, mm. um, 
my grandfather was a big uh he was an anti-war sort of peace activist between World War One and World War Two, and so as a result, they had to flee as the Nazis came into power. Um, as mm-hmm. their first wow. one for like the journalists and the peaceniks, because he didn't want them around. Um, yeah, and so they ended up leaving in hiding out. Like they did this whole exodus and finally got to the U.S. in 1941. Um, but. And she, she, my mom got here with, with her, her dad and, and mom and four sisters. And then one of her sisters became a nun uh, after that. Um, so they're pretty, they're very Catholic family, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I would say a pretty, you know, easygoing uh, Catholic upbringing with her. And when, when my mom married my dad, obviously she married an atheist, so she's not that hardcore a Catholic either. <laughs> uh, but the deal was that I would be raised Catholic, uh, from from the start like whatever uh-huh. kids because that was very important to her so um so did, i did that when, and i got confirmed like, in that whole thing were you raised catholic but then your dad would be like hey i don't this is the like <laughs> please i don't like whisper that no all the no that was things. the deal he respected the deal uh he was very uh just you know you do whatever you want to do and that's fine with me i'm over here not believing and uh it's, I think my mom has, in retrospect, said, well, really, he was more of an agnostic than, a, than an atheist. You know, it's like, uh-huh. oh, well, I'm not sure he would have said that, but okay. That's cool. <laughs> uh, Did he go so to like mass and stuff with you guys? No, no. Yeah. He, he, he went to the church to get married and that was it. That was the deal. <laughs> like he, he would never, he was not a joiner of groups. Um, Hmm. For another example would be he was an alcoholic for a long time Hmm. and went to one AA meeting and was like, I am never going there again. (laughs) And uh, because, you know, the AA is very like it helps a lot of people who want to be in a group that's all working on this problem together. But Mm -hmm. for someone like him, he's like he saw it it as a little bit of a cult, actually. And and it was like he stopped drinking successfully on his own. uh, But that's amazing. But not, but was like, wow, that enough, just thinking of going to another meeting is enough to make me stop drinking. So, uh, <laughs> Wow. It's one way to yeah. do it, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, he would never, but he never intruded either. I think he just knew that I would do what I wanted to do and that he was fine with that. Like he wasn't mm. a, he was, he was an atheist, not an anti-theist, right? You know, if you've heard that yeah. expression, yeah, he wasn't sure. uh, like a like railing against the church uh, kind yeah. of guy. Um. Do you ever remember having like any conversations with him about that kind of stuff, like existence of God or spirituality or any of those things? I must have, but it wasn't, he was not, I was his fourth kid and I was my mom's first kid. Like his Mm -hmm. second wife had died of cancer Mm -hmm. and his first wife was, had left him um, and left him with their son. So he had been through a bunch of kids by the time I came along. So Mm -hmm. he was, he was like waiting for me to become an adult to interact with me really. Uh, uh, though he would, he would get involved and it was always in a very like, cause he was a professor and my mom was a professor as well. Uh, he of psychology, she of, she of anthropology. Um, so there was a lot of like discussion of science and certainly my mom accepted all the science like evolution yeah. and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, there was nothing. And I think reform, you know, after the Catholic reformation or whatever, a Vatican II sort of thing. You know, they'd said, well, the, the Bible is, you know, the Catholic interpretation of the Bible is not literally the word of God. It's a it's a parable. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or open to interpretation. And it's it's also a flawed text as it's written by humans. So uh, the, the, in that space, they were able to, you know, 
find space for science to exist in it. So they never, and the interesting thing too about my parents, I feel was that they were in terms of like morally and like political views, they were like in complete alignment, basically. Like she was probably Hmm. even a little left of him, but, Hmm. but you know, they were both like real Massachusetts Democrat type people. (laughs) Um, So there was no, there was never a conflict on like the issues, like the issues, there was agreement. It was just, should we represent that by going to church on Sunday or not. Right. Yeah. Um, and he was not a joiner. And I actually said at his, he, he passed away last year and oh, at sorry. the, uh, well, it's been, he was 97. So, uh, well, he'd had a he good did all right then. <laughs> <laughs> he had Jeez. good innings as they say in cricket, um, which he was a big fan of. But anyway, the, the, actually my mom's priest who was my priest back in the eighties came and did the service. Um, Knowing that he was not, it wasn't, it wasn't in a church. It was at the the faculty club at the college. Mm-hmm. Um, but he came and did the service knowing that he was doing like basically an atheist service. And in my eulogy, I de- described him as a secular humanist. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, oh, that's it. That's perfect. She was like <laughs> delighted. I come up with that. And he, the priest, <laughs> the priest is this great, just one of the best guys. I've, I've met a lot of priests over the years and he was, you know. You don't want to rank them really, but you know, you have the ones who are like really good at it, right? Uh-huh. And are just able to have, even though they are doing the priestly thing and they're not married and they're, you know, sort of living a different life than you are, they get it. They get your struggles or whatever yeah. it is. Um Treat and you he like got a human. why she would she would marry and this guy who was an atheist, because you know, he'd been to dinner at the house several times and stuff. So uh he he understood and was was okay with it, right? And yeah. and it, it did this really great eulogy. This, and also just from a from like the craft of public speaking, I was impressed with, you know, because yeah. you could just he like everyone spoke and then he went last and then he just sort of pulled effortlessly as if he had, you know, it was just, you know, it's just him talking, you know, mm-hmm. I was pulling from what everyone else had said and combining it into this thing that was really great. Yeah, um, I think my dad would have been fine with that, even though he wasn't. You know, he he recognized, well, you know, to him, you know, he's done, right? He's not around to right. be bothered by what's sure. going on at, at, the, at, the, at his memorial service. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, funerals are for the living, so. Yeah, that's true. So uh, what about you? Like where, so you grew up with this, uh, you know, obvious atheist father who was, didn't push that on you necessarily, right. but then a mother who is kind of a progressive, you could, or we could say progressive Catholic Um where where did you ha- have a time in your life where you're kind of like yeah I, th- I think I buy into Catholicism I buy into the idea of God or or were you always kind of skeptical or wh- where are you now I don't even really know where you landed yeah I mean I I don't know where I landed either exactly <laughs> I don't I'm also not a joiner so like I'm not a regular church goer um, yeah. but I do go with my mom whenever we're together <laughs> um I'm fine with that uh I was not as able to overlook the Catholic church's shortcomings as she was, you know, Um, certainly like the anti LGBT stuff or the, or the, you know, various other, like, or the sort of like patriarchy of only men can be priests and stuff. I always felt that was because my mom's like a big feminist and my dad was too. And, um, but she was able to like look past that shortcoming, whereas I was like, "But why are we?" But the actual church organization is saying all the stuff that we don't agree with at all. I think she just sees the good outweighs the bad. Sure. And I I mm-hmm. look at it that way too, of like, you know, I see you know Christ's message and being a Christian and that sort of stuff as doing more good mostly. Like, there's always cases of it being used for bad, yeah. right? Yeah. Whether it's the you know the, um. 
you know, child sexual abuse scandal in the church, mm -hmm. for example, or something, using that power structure to fail to fix a really horrible problem that right. should have been stopped much sooner. Mm, yeah. Um, yep. But I think in total, there's, you know, the church has done a lot, is just so helpful for so many people, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting there as a, as a sort of video game tie-in. It's a game I played a lot as a kid called The Bard's Tale. Um, if you've heard yeah. of that and they're oh, making yeah. a new one now and the creator of that is this guy, Michael Cranford, who you should maybe have on this show, but he's a, he, after making those games, went to theology school and is now like, I think his main gig is traveling around preaching, um, at, at different, oh. and I'm huh. not sure what his denomination is exactly. Um, I think he's more just a general Christian can go anywhere and talk deeply about the bible guy and he's the guy um, that that made the original bard's tale the original two bard's tales and they do have mm, some christian overtones to them um, yeah and he just spoke at gdc this past gdc in march he did like a classic postmortem of which is a series they do where they have a a guy who made a game 30 years ago or whatever or guy or gal get up and uh and talk about it and, hmm. uh, yeah, process. That's interesting. and it's just sort of a good old time so he came out and did one for those games unfortunately my yeah, talk was at the exact same time so i didn't see it ah uh, okay yeah because those games are a big deal i I mean, like super right. influential um, in terms of like the um, how early role playing games kind of developed, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, they were sort of that and Ultima and, and Wizardry were the big sort of oh. original three mm -hmm. genres, original three uh, titles. Um, but anyway, he actually I was such a big fan of those games not because of the Christian content, just because I loved them as RPGs mm -hmm. and the Christian content was sort of subtext. Um, I, so I, I emailed him basically out of the blue and said, hey, I'm going to miss your talk. I really wanted to go, but it'd be cool if we could meet up. So we met up there and talked for a bit. Um, and I'm always worried when I meet someone who is super devout like he is, obviously, that I, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to hate my game, <laughs> you know, the current <laughs> sure. game I'm working on of like, what? This is terrible, you know, because certainly on the Internet, I've seen that reaction a few times of people saying like, like people at this game is like that or people who are are pro-socialist who see them as okay. the villains as being socialists. And I'm like, well, they're not the villains uh, right. always, yeah. right? They're not, uh -huh. and it can go like, you can be offended in multiple vectors by this game. <laughs> the people that get uh, offended probably don't realize they're actually start starting a cult and they just don't know. Right. Yeah. Right. Just kidding. Uh, but it's like, just when, kidding. People, when people don't hear about the whole thing, it's easy to yeah. jump to conclusions. That's what the internet's all sure. about. Jumping. Yes. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, Except for long, thoughtful podcasts like this. One. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But but I we told like him about the game and he thought it was really cool, or at least that's what he told me. And we talked about it for a little while and he was very open to it. So it was nice. But my the reason I brought him up was he talks about, I listened to one of his podcasts where he, which is a recording of him preaching somewhere, um, talking about how he can prove you know, the Bible is, is true and Jesus is real, et cetera. And, and his whole thing was, is sort of two pronged was one, you know, Christianity has done more to help people than anything else in the history of mankind. Um, which I think could be argued, you know, I don't know if that's absolutely true or not, but, uh, Man, I, don't I saw how you'd point. prove that. <laughs> right, that's exactly. a big thing to prove. And then the other thing was Jesus must be divine because if you, if you believe, if you see all the good he's done, 
Because a lot of people will look at Jesus as like, oh, well, he was a prophet and he said a lot of good things, but I don't actually believe in his divinity or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, they said, well, yeah, but that was one of Jesus' central messages was he was divine. So how can you reject that part and right. accept the rest that you like, mm -hmm. right? And it's like you can't pick and choose. So it Like was the really C.S. Lewis, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or, right, right. or, or um, who he says he is kind of thing. Yeah, right. So – it was sort of a, you know, that's, you know, a common argument you've probably seen and one that, sure. that he had made. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know, you know, sometimes where I fall on that, on that spectrum of, of believing maybe there was something special to him, or maybe he was just a great leader and was wrong about the divinity thing, or I don't know, but there's just something, you know, about that central message that's so, that I still see as powerful, even if I might have problems with the Catholic church itself or might not go every Sunday myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Like, I mean, I think I find myself in a place in life where I'm having to not having to necessarily, but I find myself thinking about the impact of various Christian organizations and groups. Um, so an example might be like all this uh, me too stuff. So there's, there's a new hashtag that's come out called church Two. Um, mm -hmm. about how some of that stuff can happen in the church as well. Um, mm. And I'm, I, I'm really glad that that's happening because, you know, you want, um, you want the truth about those kinds of things to come out. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you, you, when that does come out, you sort of, as for me as a follower of, of, of Jesus, like, I, I, <laughs> you know, you have those questions like, is, is this doing more good than bad? You know, what is, or, and what, how would we even define that? Um, mm -hmm. But I have a friend who's like um, a, a leader in a, a relatively large Christian institution. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he said, because uh, institutions are just, w one thing he said that's kind of always stuck with me or has helped me is, you know, the institutions are big, difficult, messy things. Um, mm -hmm. And they're full of people, uh, which makes them by by nature like, places where messed up things can happen. And, and, you know, and so you, you sort of have to remember that. And uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's not that helpful now that I say it out loud, but for me, like as <laughs> someone who's also, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but it's certainly something I think about more these days than I used to. Yeah. I mean, I also get caught up in the, yeah, I think there's the, like the individual failings of humans, obviously in the, you know, the, the Catholic Church child sex abuse scandal. It was like systemic, like yeah. all the way yeah. up to the top and like right. really bad. It's like hard to get over that one. Um, mm -hmm. In addition to some of the, you know, official doctrines that I don't agree with. Um, and they just don't seem very, you know, the, the, you know, anti LGBT stance stuff, for example, is like so barely covered by, by the actual Bible. Mm -hmm. And it's more just like, like there's all sorts of things the Bible says that you shouldn't do that people have no problem doing, but then they focus in on like this one and then direct their hate yeah. accordingly. Sure. Right? That sort of stuff can really bother me. Unfortunately, you know, fortunately, I don't think the Catholic Church is as guilty of that as, mm -hmm. as some other some other ones. But uh, certainly, it sort of depends what church you go to, right? Too. Yeah. Has uh, has most of your experience like religious spiritual stuff been? With the Catholic Church, has there been any kind of Protestant stuff or non-denominational stuff or even other, you know, religions or anything? Or has it mostly just been Catholic? 
So yeah, I mean, I uh, my wife is Unitarian. Yeah. I go there for events periodically, and the kids go there. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I like my dad. I'm just not into the ritual part. Yeah. Of yeah. It. Um, so yeah, and I I in the making of this game, I did some some research church going. Oh, cool. Um, just for fun, more because it's different. So I went to a mega church type, even uh, uh, you know, um, evangelical type. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, forgetting the the there's the charismatics and evangelicals and what's the p oh, word pentecostal pentecostal sort of a pentecostal derived Oof. place um but it was a but 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 taken like i think the 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 guy who's the head of this church who's an amazing speaker um he says he's derived from that but has changed from it quite a bit but it was like so different like going to catholic church i don't know if you guys have ever been but yeah. it's pretty boring yeah. like it's pretty like yeah. the music's bad yep. and and it's a lot of like sitting up and standing down and nobody's really into it and my favorite <laughs> was uh get out of here in 40 minutes my know? most uh, of my dad's side of my family is catholic so that i we didn't go to church growing up but like if i ever went it was for family things i remember going to a baptism one time for one of my cousins and they like handed everybody a script as you walked in and they're like, Hey, mm -hmm. here's the things you're supposed to read. Like, here's what the priest is going to yep. say. Like, yep. And I'm like, Oh, this yep. is kind of like, this weird. is different. You know, <laughs> just, uh, Did you find it like more interesting as an adult going or now? Oh, like, yeah. So the one I went to okay. was full mega church style. I basically compared it to a rock concert. Yep. Like yeah. and it went for like 90 minutes and it had just like back to back songs for the beginning, just never let up. And then like 20 yeah. minutes of preaching, which was actually the preacher from this church was actually uh, a video linked in from where he was preaching at a Hillsong gathering in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was on delay, but uh, I don't know if you guys know Hillsong, but it was definitely in okay. that like in that, you know, amped up rock right. and roll mm -hmm. church sort of vibe. And I was just like, this is really loud, too. <laughs> like, I actually go to rock shows a yeah. lot on metal stuff is sort of what I'm into, but, but metal, I was like for said? church, that's what I, that's my music of choice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, we could talk about that in Christianity uh, in a minute, but, uh, I was like, my <laughs> wife would find this, this church service way too loud to stay in. Cause she's not into anything like yeah. that. And it's always like, Oh, it will get me out of here. Um, so it was, it was a very different thing, but I mean, he's, he's a really captivating speaker, mm -hmm. you know, and I get yeah. in a way that none of the, I mean, this one guy, the guy who was at my father's memorial was like a really good, but just sedate and calm <laughs> and, and <laughs> like making you feel everything's okay. And this guy was like, just getting fired up mm -hmm. and, you know, people there were fired up and it was, it was great. I also went to a Southern Baptist uh, church. Uh, not a lot of those in Seattle, right. but there is one. Um, and they were very fired up, but in a different way. <laughs> and uh, hmm. that was great. I really enjoyed that. And they were so welcoming. Because I'm like standing out like a sore thumb there. I'm the old, like one of three white people <laughs> in the church or something. And uh, and they were just like, oh, I'm so glad you came. That's this cool. is great. And, you know, it was like the height of Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. And they I don't know, saw me and I was like, oh, well, I go to the Unitarian Church usually. But blah, 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 blah. Like, oh, cool. Well, I'm so glad you came here. So, yeah, I mean, that was a really different service as well. And just <clears> more <throat> fun to be at, I would say. And just I, I kind of like, you know, when I think of what I like about religion, I kind of like people who are really into it, you know, mm -hmm. who are like, you know, if you believe that stuff, like, yeah, you know, shout it out loud. Right. Don't don't yeah. just be like so chill and like, well, I just go on Sunday and then the rest <laughs> of the week. I forget. You know, yeah. it's better to like really embrace it if you're going to embrace it. Mm. 
I guess it's interesting that you say that because I find myself in a place in life where I appreciate more of the chill type (laughs) of I mean, it's the grass is always green, right? Yeah. And I, you know, I think, but I I agree with you that if you're, if you're going to believe it, like, you know, uh, you should be all about it. Like, um, I agree with that, but I also, I guess I just, I've kind of come out of the rah rah yeah. like we're, we're disenfranchised but, probably because <laughs> <laughs> that I mean I agree with Drew in that like the church that that my wife are a part of now we've been there since last summer uh, it's not what you would call like a cool church at all and mm-hmm. we love that like it's sincere and authentic and that's what we're looking for right and I think a lot of times I mean I, I've never been to the church you're talking about Richard but. Um, a lot of times we've been in places like that and it's just, it is just a show, you know, it's, it, there, mm-hmm. it seems to lack some of that sincerity or authenticity. So I think mm-hmm. that's kind of what Drew's saying to me. Yeah. But I also like, I also want to be honest and say that, um, I could just be, I think I am like, I'm very much a Christian, but I think I can also be really cynical about that totally. stuff. Uh, and, and I think a lot of churches that are more charismatic, I think it's certainly possible and, and, and very likely that they are just, um, better Christians than me. <laughs> or I shouldn't say that. I, mean, I should yeah. say they're, they're, that they're being sincere and sincerely seeking the Lord, you know, in their own way. And, who am I to right. right. Yeah. It's not necessarily one size fits all. Yeah. Um, we've been talking for a while now. I want to make sure we respect your time. I do want to hear about what you started uh, to say something about the cult of Microsoft. Oh and, yeah. Uh, Let's dig <laughs> in. I wonder if I you mean, have that's any- the, the, you know, the, the cult of Microsoft or just tech companies in mm-hmm. general. Um, I'd say probably Microsoft is a little less culty now because it's more, big and and it's lost it's like original visionary you know um but certainly like if you look at apple under steve jobs or something it's easy to see a lot of the same qualities where he would say hey we're gonna go do this because i Mm -hmm. say we are and Mm -hmm. i don't care what you think right and as long as that guy's going to a good thing it works out but along the way you may work 100 hour weeks you know he may be a jerk you know it may be bad for your life but oh my god i worked on the first macintosh or whatever you know and it's like that sometimes that trade-off you're making of like do i want a balanced life with the family and kids who recognize me and stuff or do i want to work on this great thing right Um, yeah and you can go to those meetings those companies sometimes where it's just very raw raw takes on sort of a churchy element almost of just like we're gonna do this crazy thing and i i went to one um in the steve bomber era of microsoft he was the ceo after gates and before sacha the current guy Mm-hmm. Um, and Steve Ballmer was known for like being a really feisty speaker in a way that to anyone outside of Microsoft seems comically ridiculous. <laughs> but when you're in Microsoft, he's just believed in Microsoft, mm-hmm. you know, just in a very profound yeah. way and would and would just get up and speak for hours at this this once a year meeting. And just in a very passionate way about all the products Microsoft has and whatever, and and how the how they're changing the world in these positive ways, and and you would leave thinking like, wow, no, I am this, I'm I'm fired up, I want to work on this thing, and then maybe a couple of days you're like, yeah, but that's not gonna work, <laughs> you know, you might it might catch up on it later that maybe right. that thing he was, he was going on and on about is not viable, but 
for someone who's maybe less cynical than me, it was like leaves you on this really positive note and you go off and work for, you know, the next year happily knowing that you're doing this thing that's greater than you. Right? It's funny. you um, And as I describe that, there's a lot of similarities yeah. with like what goes on in a car. I, uh, I worked for Apple for a year in uh in one of the retail stores Mm -hmm. and i remember that exact same kind of thing like just feeling really uncomfortable and sometimes thinking like okay calm down guys like we're we're just making like technology stuff (laughs) like because they would use that rhetoric of like (laughs) we're literally changing the world and we're doing all it's like okay i mean let's let's get some perspective here like i'm selling ipads to kids that are going to drop it when they walk out the door like let's <laughs> let's be reasonable, you know. So and trying to convince those same people right. to buy insurance totally. for when they drop it, right? Because that's going to make yeah. their life better. Because when it breaks, yeah. they'll get another one right away, and then they they will be able to do these amazing right. things with technology. And they can keep um, paying for the insurance. Yeah, uh, and that's <laughs> I, you know that's a big thing in the culture of Silicon Valley at this point is that belief that. No, because I am running this website or this app that helps you pay your parking tickets online. <laughs> I am changing the world or you know, yeah. whatever it is, right? Right. Um, yeah. If that's not part of your pitch, that passion is not part of your pitch uh-huh. to the VCs. They yeah. won't give you the money or whatever. I think it, it speaks to this like desire for purpose, you know, because I remember like when I was in that context with Apple, like I, you know, I follow Jesus. Like I'm a Christian. I feel like I have this this greater purpose and meaning to my life. Um, but I think there's a lot of people that were there that maybe didn't have that in other ways. And that is what gave it to them. Mm-hmm. Like being a part of something, right. um, you know, like Apple or Microsoft mm-hmm. or whatever it was like that gave them that deeper sense of purpose and, you know, they're needed and necessary and all that kind of stuff. Right. And it's someone who's like maybe more, devout in their their christian faith might see that as a false god or you know a false idol mm-hmm. or whatever it is that you're like you know you saw it as just like hey everybody <laughs> calm down but you didn't feel yeah. to quit <laughs> it necessarily whereas yeah. someone else would be like i can't this is getting into yeah, dangerous I territory i need to get out of here yeah i think get there's a faith there's a balance there because i like the idea like i respect companies in one sense for having that kind yeah. of mentality And what I mean, I guess, is that, so as a Christian, I think that part of my purpose in the world is to do good work. Um, And I don't just mean like good works, like go give the poor, whatever, which I mean, obviously that too, but, but to work, um, to, to produce things, to create stuff that, that helps other people that benefits other people. Um, right. It's like, I want, it's important to me to have a sense that my vocation, um, accomplishes that on some level. And I, and I, and I think, I think every job can and does like do that in some way. If you work at the Apple store, I think you can take pride in, in helping people have a really good experience who are having phone problems. Um, like there's something really beautiful and valuable about, someone who takes pride in that work, um, and believes in it. Um, I think it can go off the rails when, and I was going to mention this earlier, like I've been watching Silicon Valley, Mm -hmm. the TV show, which totally makes fun of those types of companies, uh, left and right. Um, so it can obviously go off the rails when you sort of, um, begin to exploit people because they believe so much in the company and we stop treating them as, um, 
right. you know, as human beings and instead sort of like exploit their faith in what we're doing, um, which probably plays into your game to some degree. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I find, you know, I used to joke that because uh, before my wife was working at the Unitarian Church, she was a math teacher, you know, another like selfless, yeah, like underpaid uh, profession and uh, like in, in mm-hmm. you know, public high schools. And mm-hmm. uh, I used to say that like she was doing all the good work and then I was ruining it all. And we were like a wash together. <laughs> no, you broke even. You just broke even. Uh, but I don't. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't actually, I do believe that there's like, I think a good video game. In, in a variety of ways can be really helpful to people like as a pure entertainment thing that gives them escapism or gives them just uh you know somewhere to keep their brain sharp or a variety of ways or or literally the games that have helped kids in totally. like, cancer recovery or whatever that they give them a game that that has been demonstrated to show positive effects in 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 chemotherapy treatments or whatever just to like put their mind somewhere else and get them in a more positive attitude or whatever but uh beyond that just like making what i'm making here beyond just a pure entertainment product it's trying to like get people to think yeah. about these issues so they might go in thinking oh i hate christians or or i hate religious people or i hate cults i'm gonna go in right. and just shoot everybody right and mm-hmm. hopefully they get there and they're listening to the people talk on the pa and they meet someone and they don't seem so bad and then you kind of hopefully you know what i'm trying to do is show right. no these are people who are trying to do the best they can or trying to do better than than what they were they were living before and then how are you going to react to that or are they taking it too far and and it was important to me that in the game you know you can finish the game without killing anybody if if you go that route and you can get the the sort of op the, the whatever ending you want to get in any of the scenarios without having to kill someone yourself that's cool man um so I'm just like giving, trying to like get the narrative because often you'll see a lot of games that will try to take on a big narrative topic, but in the frame right. of just a shooter, you know, so you in a shooter, you're still just shooting everybody. And my wife actually said this to me about so, so the suffering horror games I made 10 years ago were sort of an anti-death penalty mm-hmm. theme to it, though I didn't really tell the team that, but that <laughs> was sort of my, because the, the, the enemies you fight in the game are supernatural reincarnations of various execution methods. And the story is sort of trying to touch on the theme of, of, you know, like prison, the bad things that happen in prison and that capital punishment maybe isn't a good thing. Um, and like my wife at some point said, yeah, that's cool, but it's a game where you shoot stuff, right? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, Don't you think that's undermining your message? And I was like, yeah. Wives. Uh, <laughs> so it's like. Gosh. That's no, what video yeah. games do. So, yeah. So just trying to make this. A game where I could say, no, nope, you yeah. don't have to kill anybody here. In That's fact, nuanced. there's lots of fun That's ways cool. to get through the game think, without doing that. You know, you're going to get yeah. emails one day from people that say, hey, I was in a cult and then I played your game and now I'm not in that cult anymore. Thanks. Or you'll get the other ones that right. say like, you know, yeah. hey, you made cults look really good. I realized so I, I needed to move to South America. Um, thank <laughs> you for leading me to the truth <laughs> and the way. Yeah. Now I'm poor. Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah. yeah, I mean, hopefully like in that suffering game, um, the main character was, we did not say whether he was like a black guy or a white guy, sort of like a Vin mm. Diesel looking guy. Um, and then married to like a, a black woman. He has black kids. And I would see discussions on message boards. Like I'm sure there were several mess, like lots of discussions <laughs> that were terrible, but uh, there were some that were like, is Torque a black guy or not? And then there'd be this debate of people like, well, his wife's black, so he must be black. And people would say, well, no, that's not how it works. You know, and then there'd be this like discussion <laughs> yeah. of, of like this. And this was like 10 years ago, sort of 
like uh, when this was less in vogue, yeah. shall we say. Um, mm-hmm. I welcome it being in vogue now to like have more diverse casts in games. But um, so it was just cool to see those right. discussions happening in a game yeah. that was, you know, a horror game that was a shooter, you know, and had all this other dumb stuff going on in it, but also <laughs> had like some thought provoking things. Yeah. And I've, I've also met people, you know, in the last few years who were like, oh, you worked on The Suffering Man. I... I couldn't find any other games with black people in mm. them. And this was so cool. And I love mm-hmm. playing that game for that. And, and I was like, I'm glad you thought he was black. <laughs> and that worked for you. Because we never said, but that's because you know, I wanted, to, I mean, the whole point of it was let sure. the player be who they want to be in the game and having a guy who's somewhere, you know, never really specified, but but not obviously one or the other allows the most people right. to to get into it in whatever way they get into it. Yeah. So. And I appreciate what you're trying to do with uh, the church in the darkness a lot in that sense, because I think that nuance is not something that we as a culture do a very good job of, of like showing the complexity of situations right. and of the people involved in those situations. Um, I mean, you see it in our political discourse right now with mm-hmm. like, um, you know, you're either on the right side of this issue or you're not. I mean, the correct side. Right. You're for us or against us. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think you see it in video games, too, like uh, quite a bit. So the obvious example that comes to my mind right now is Far Cry 5, which I haven't played. So this is a little unfair for me to say this, but I've read a good bit about the story. And it just feels really caricatured, like... Um, you know, I'm sure. I'm sure it's like it looks like a really fun game. So this isn't meant to be like a huge slam on the game, but, um, right. but I just appreciate that you're approaching the idea of cults uh, and um, religious, you know, strong religious beliefs in a way that um, takes them seriously and doesn't just make them all look the same every time they're you play it. They're not just a convenient, uh, a convenient enemy to shoot or something. Yeah. Right? Well, they're cultists. They must be bad. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've played a bit of Far Cry and uh, it is a Far Cry game, which means, you know, it's a, it's a, it's Super a fun. roller coaster of explosions. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but then I love, I've loved uh, a bunch of those games going back to two and, uh, mm-hmm. and I like three a lot and stuff. And Far Cry two is well, probably is like my own, my top five games of all time. Yeah. Well, two is interesting because it feels the most cohesive mm-hmm. where oh, yeah. the narrative was this very depressing narrative about sort of, you know, being in Africa and arms dealing and factions and who are the good guys here? No one. And, you know, it's this very bleak, depressing story Mm -hmm. coupled with very bleak and depressing mechanics where your gun's jamming all the time. You've got malaria and it just feels hard to play that game, right? Yeah. Whereas then in Far Cry Cry 3, they sort of made it a lot more fun. And it's it's like arguably a better game mechanically. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they made a narrative that was all over the map about like, Oh, there's right. a crazy guy here. And there's a thing and every, here. And yeah, the thing. Everybody has the game. The uh, ending of everyone, the game tells you you're a bad person for having killed all these people, despite that being the only thing you can do in the game, you know, or, and, or uh, it can also be read as sort of like a meta commentary on gaming itself. Right. And that was uh, sort of their intent, but I don't think right. in a way that came across <laughs> to hardly anybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they got all that, you know, uh, I think in some ways justified like criticism about the coloniz- colonization stuff in the right, game and the white savior. Um, we actually had uh, Jeffrey Yolam on the game church podcast back when this was oh, cool. Um, when we were doing that and uh, yeah. had a long conversation with, so you, yeah, you might be 
You might, you might no, find I know interesting Jeffrey to dig that and I know, I know Pat, who's the uh, creative director on the game, who was like partners with Jeffrey on coming up with that whole narrative. And I, I actually had, I did a talk in Vancouver where I called Pat up on the stage to talk about like, so you were trying to critique this, but it didn't really work if what you were critiquing was the thing you were doing. You know, it's like one of those like you know, we want to make a game with a hot chick in it. So we made it a critique of hot chicks and games. We still had the hot chick in the game. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, right. it's, oh, we're having our cake and eating it too. Like, I don't know that you can do that. You know, because at some point you're just becoming, you know, how right. do you know if Part you become the, the thing you're trying to make fun of? Yep. Um, so as I what did he, what did he say? But no, he doesn't. I, th I think he sees. Yeah. I mean, he, Jeffrey, I've talked to Jeffrey about it. Jeffrey is much less accepting of the fact that it wasn't entirely successful. Um, Pat is more like, yeah, I would have changed this and this and this. And I, you know, he was more of the, yeah, obviously we missed the mark on some stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I really like, just to be clear, like I really respect Jeffrey Yohalem for trying. Like, yeah, I think absolutely. it was a really bold, like design idea. I, I don't know how much he succeeded, but I just, I love that he was out there like trying to do something really interesting in this, in this, um, like in a lot of ways, unwieldy triple a package, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Where there were all these expectations set upon that game to be a certain thing. Yeah. But like far cry five, it feels like, yeah, I mean, you're right. What you've read about the, the portrayal of the cultists is, is accurate from the few hours of it that I've played where they are much more cartoony caricature-y sort of yeah, like they're right. evil they're really Makes really evil to shoot. Right. um and and <laughs> right because and, and you have to shoot them there's like nothing else you know there's yeah. no or, or choke them out from behind you know those are sort of your two things you can do um and i think it's almost i don't know is it better that they just went cartoony because the game is cartoony than versus mm -hmm. like trying to make it really serious but the game's still yeah. cartoony like they'd have to change both it feels like and if they weren't willing to make far cry a very different game like Arma or something, or like just a, like much more of a simulation. And there's this whole character thing you can do. So he's just like making it a different game. Yeah. Could they take on that subject matter and do it justice without also changing the game is, is an interesting thought exercise, I guess. Oh yeah, for sure. And I'll admit that sometimes I just want to like <laughs> shoot things and not think about it. Amen. Right. I'm not sure what that says about me, but Amen, occasionally, <laughs> <laughs> no, and I see that that's something that, you know, I'm I'm a Mr. Pacifist, you know, anti-war guy, but love playing soldier, you know, and it's it's a very from a young age, you know, my parents mm -hmm. refused to buy me guns. So I would get gun. Every right. stick I found in the woods would become a gun. And, you know, I bought all my own G.I. Joe's with my lawn mowing money and stuff. And and uh, it was just a outlet like it doesn't make me want to join the military <laughs> but it, or, 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 or <laughs> sure. buy guns yeah. or stuff like that. Um but it, it's, I, I found it as like a way, like a thing that I had a natural instinct towards that I could work mm -hmm. out through this media experience of like toys or, or playing soldier or whatever, or video games. Oh yeah, for um, sure. I like really violent video games <laughs> and my wife can't stand anything violent. <laughs> uh, so it's like, well, I see her as like the normal human that was foolish enough to marry me. Yeah. And, really quick uh, before we, before we have to go, cause I know we've kept yes. you here for a while. No What's your favorite violent video game? I'm curious. Because you said oh, you love them, so I'm I'm curious. I do, yeah. I mean, you know, I still I it's probably Grand Theft Auto series. I mean, going back to when three came out, it was such a like game, yeah. like life changing game for me. And just mm -hmm. I was I still wasn't the guy who would like 
you know, kill the prostitute after, after, you know, give her the money to Sesame and then kill her after. I still wasn't that guy, but certainly missions where I'm like, well, the sidewalk looks faster. I'm just going to run these people. Over. <laughs> I remember when I was playing it, my wife would say, well, what is that game with the sirens all the time? Oh, it's got to stop. It's just mm. never ending. Or like, I remember watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre at my parents' house once. And it was like, why is she? It's, it's, she's been screaming for like hey, 45 minutes. Man. Like, what's going on? Here? Yeah. <laughs> I think I read an article about this, but I remember one time I played Bioshock Infinite in front of my mom. She was uh-huh. in town for some reason. And of course, by this time, I'm, you know, I'm an adult. I'm in my probably late 20s or something, or maybe early 30s. I can't remember. But, um, you know, I had convinced her recently. We had all these like really interesting conversations about how video games are a lot more diverse and interesting than she realizes. And I was, you know, trying to tell her about games that I thought were really had profound narratives and things like cart life or Papo and yo, or something like that, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so she was, we were, you know, I'd made all this headway with her about convincing her that there's some interesting things going on in the medium. And then she watched me play uh, Bioshock infinite, which I think in some ways, Ken Levine is sort of seen as this guy who's trying to do really interesting things with games, which I I think is fair. I I do think he Mm -hmm. is. But the part she watched, I'm just like jamming my sky hook into people's skulls <laughs> right. and, and blowing people up with various guns and powers and things. Look and how she was like, this is, that's, mom. Uh, that's this is was... meaningful. <laughs> yeah. This gives me purpose. And she was just horrified. So. Yeah, well, at least hey. I'm not doing it in real life, mom, right? It could be right. sky hooking people in the face in real life. Glad that's not the case, but uh, yeah, no. Hey, no, no. It was. Bad. It's been great having you on, Richard. Yeah. I really enjoyed hearing your story, and um, I think you know we may have to have you on again after the game comes out and um, unpack. We'll, we'll do some like psycho anal- 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 <laughs> analysis of all of our fascination with violent games, and maybe yeah. we can unpack that a little well, bit. And then you guys could have played the game, maybe, and I want to hear what you think of it. As well, we're as for sure going to start a cult think around this the stuff game. A lot, so. That's what I, that's, yes. Job one, enough cult members to get it up the sales charts. Yeah. Yep. yep. It's on our to-do list. We have a meeting later today, a staff meeting, and we're <laughs> going to go over that. We'll add that to the list. Okay, guys, here it is. <laughs> but we got to figure out a way for it to also get us on the charts. Um, right. In some right. Way too, so, but I think that's kind of dangerous given that we're uh, a religious organization <laughs> on some level. <laughs> But anyway, I'm totally. If you kidding, get too successful, so. the government comes after you. It's like goes for your tax-free status, and uh, yeah, do a whole thing with them. I'm glad you brought that up. There's a lot for us to think about here. So <laughs> that's right. Uh, <laughs> no, it's having time. you on. Yeah, this uh, was people huge can find me. That's right. So people can find your game. Uh, where where can they find it? I know it's not out yet, but uh, yeah, if they want to follow you know, what's going on with yeah. it. We've uh, my favorite thing is the mailing list. We've got if you go to paranoidproductions.com, there's a link to the Church in the Darkness. If you Google the Church in the Darkness, it's one of the top hits there. The other top hit is the Steam page where you can go wishlist it as well. Nice. Um, and if you're on social media, if you're at Church Darkness is the Twitter handle, or you can search for it. It'll come right. Cool. Um, and there's a Facebook page too, but you know Facebook. That's sort of yeah. yesterday's news. Well, today's yep. news, but yesterday's news in terms of you know. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. And you are Richard Rouse the third on not yes, the I'm Richard third, Rouse I I I on uh, on Twitter. Twitter. Cool. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm Drew Dixon A two. Chris, have you decided 
to resurrect no, leave me again. alone about it every week I, mean, I ask Chris. i don't know <laughs> keep asking me we'll see what happens yeah. it's a dark place i don't recommend it <laughs> it is it can be it can be really yeah. fun i really it can be like a lovely place too and then yep. and then other times i hate it um <laughs> But you can follow Love Thy Nerd if you would like to on Facebook. Just search for Love Thy Nerd on Facebook. You'll find our um, our group, and we would love for you to come join that. Follow what we're doing. Uh, be sure to go and check out the Free Play podcast. Just search for Free Play or search for Love Thy Nerd on iTunes or Stitcher. We're also on both of our podcasts, Free Play and this one, Humans of Gaming, are both on Spotify as well. Um, so whichever is most convenient for you. But go check those out. Rate and review us. That helps us a ton. Uh, spread the word about this podcast and about free play and about love thy nerd on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever other MySpace, uh, MySpace, <laughs> yeah, and uh, that would help us a ton as well. So that's it for us here on Humans of Gaming. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.